Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for meeting us, being here with us, giving us the breath of life for another day. Lord, would you let us sit at your feet now, and would you just give us your spirit, your, yourself and your spirit. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So I'm not, I'm not the biggest football fan, uh, excuse me, I'm not the biggest American football fan you'll ever meet, but college football got going yesterday, right, or sometime this past week. And this brought back to mind for me a story from back in the day. There are two teams in the same state, true story, they're both really good, and you know, because they're both really good and because they're in the same state, they're trying to recruit the same people and they're button heads every year, they're, they don't like each other, right? So they play each other. And the one team wins, and after the game, the other team's coach said that this one team who had amazing defensive ends, they had these huge dudes who could move for defensive ends. And, like, they're fast, so they're coming in from the side. They're beating around, you know, getting around the offensive line. And the other team's coach accused them of putting their elbows up here on the quarterback as they hit him under the mask, under the face mask. So, lo and behold, season goes along. They're going to play each other again in a bowl game. And somebody asks the, the coach of the team that had lost the first match who was angry because the other team's team, other guys were hitting his quarterback, he felt. They asked him if he forgave them. And he said this. He said, I'm not that kind of Christian. He said, I am an Old Testament Christian. That's a New Testament Christian. Now, obviously, this coach needed a new church, right? <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't work on so many levels. On the other hand, let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. Do we believe? I mean, really believe. I mean, not just say so because we're supposed to. Do we believe that God of the Old Testament is merciful? I mean, he tells us, I am merciful, slow to anger, long-suffering, mercy abiding into the you know generation and the generation and the generation. But then he goes upside so many people's heads, right? And we're like, well, come on, God. How does all this sort out? Is this, is this, one, this is one of these moments. Is this just me or has anybody else ever felt this way? Oh, come on. Raise your hands. I just want to know. I want to know whether I should just start over or whether it's, you know, we're going to get somewhere, right? So we wonder, right? We wonder, I mean, how does this really work? Do we really believe God is merciful? Well, today in our summer series, as we, as we think about these moments when someone lifts up their eyes, and in lifting up their eyes for whatever reason, because the situation is scary, because the situation is good, because whatever, they're just in something big, and they lift up their eyes, and that's just when the Lord meets them. So today as we continue in this series, we're, we're kind of jumping all the way back. I launched the series way back in June, and we were with Abraham that week. So we're all the way back with Abraham. Lo and behold, I haven't preached since then. My mom, I check in with my parents every Sunday afternoon, and I'm talking to my mom last week. She's like, you don't work that much, do you? She's like, you planning to preach again anytime soon? You know, Not that she hasn't enjoyed the others. I, I, mean, I get a little nervous for my job security. You know, These guys have been so good. So we're back to Abraham. Somehow I'm the dude with Abraham in this series. And in that first one, way back in June, we were with Abraham and Lot. And Abraham had brought Lot along with him, and they were now going to choose the land. And Abraham let Lot choose. And Lot stood and looked, and he said, that looks better. So he took that side, 
And Abraham was left with the drier side. Right? Remember that? And Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And we notice an amazing thing. We noted that that's the first time in the scriptures that we're specifically told. We had been told that people started calling on the name of the Lord, but that's the first time we saw it happen. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the land and he took it. And even though his circumstances were harder, he kept the plot, he believed, and he kept on going. He kept on living the truly good life because he kept the plot and he held on and he believed. And, and, I, and I was sharing with you guys at the end of that sermon, one of my favorite bits of the whole of scripture is that he lived under the oaks of Mamre. And yeah, I get it. Yes, it's practical, you know, like they're over there. You can find them in the midst of that rocky stuff. But there's also this sort of small s sacramental thing going on where, where trees, they reach up to the heavens, they feed on light, they feed on glory. They, they sort of in a small s sacramental way, there's something mysterious going on. He's sort of under God's care. He's out there, he's in a rough place. They're still living in tents when we get to this story now, but they're under God's care, and he's okay. So he's, he's doing all right. They're doing all right. So Abraham's out there. You know, they had a hard day at work. They're sitting around the evening. Honey, what are we going to watch tonight? And these three dudes show up. And this is amazing because Abraham, he gets it. He gets it. This, from the very beginning, we see the intimacy that Abraham has with the Lord. So this is the first thing we want to get. This kind of intimacy with the Lord is possible. It is. I can remember as an undergraduate student going through my, Lord, please, only once ever, massive existential crisis. And I remember sitting with, with one of the student uh, campus ministry workers. And I remember her, her saying, talking to me about her story and talking about her journaling. And I remember her saying to me, it is possible to be able to talk with the Lord as if he's sitting right here because he is. She said, I remember her saying, it is possible. And Abraham has this incredible intimacy. And this is the first moment we see it. They show up and he gets it, boom. So he springs into action. God in some mysterious way has come to meet me. So he springs into action and he, and he does what you do when an honored one, and this one in this case, honored one par excellence has come to, to your tent. And he welcomes them and all of this. And, and then we come to the first sort of amazing interaction. They say to him, you know, there's a promise for a future and a covenant, and we haven't lost it. And it's not going to come because you manipulate some weird circumstance that you shouldn't manipulate like you did with the servant girl. It's not going to come that way. It's going to come still through Sarah, your covenant wife, your wife. And Sarah is in the tent, and she hears this, and she laughs. And we all know what laughing in this kind of moment feels like, right? This is not joy. This is, you know... I'm sorry, honey, I, I either was going to scream or laugh. I mean, I had to do something to get the energy out. I didn't want to scream in the moment because I didn't want them to hear that. So I thought if I just emitted some energy by laughing, maybe that would just sort of get, you know, passed by. But they hear it. And they, they hear it. So God has interjected himself into Abraham's life. Here's Abraham and Sarah trucking along. Here they are saying, I don't know how this all works out. How many times has he tried to comfort her, but he's not adequate to it, and he knows it, and he knows that he can't really feel her pain, but he loves her, and he wants to, and he tries. 
And then these dudes show up. No warning. Just interject themselves. Boom, they just pop in. And they say, this is going to happen. And she laughs. But it's, a, it's that kind of bitter, hard, I've been hurt laugh. I've hurt so bad, I have to do something with this. And she laughs, that kind of laugh. And then we see the first instance in this story, this larger story, the first instance of God's mercy. What does God do? What does the Lord who has shown up mysteriously do? He doesn't judge her. He doesn't say, oh, okay then, you don't believe me? You're not good enough. He doesn't undo the promise. He doesn't say, no, you're now unworthy. We get this amazing, really kind of, in a way, hilarious little moment that, as far as I remember, as far as I can think of, is unique in all the scriptures. God says, the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And she says, well, I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, no, you did laugh. I mean, it's like the Lord and she are married. (laughs) I mean, does this happen in your house? Okay, fine, but you did. You, you know, right? Never been said in our house. And there's just this, this intimacy with Abraham and Sarah and the Lord. God, in essence, reading between the lines, he's saying, look, I'm not going to put more on you than you can bear. It's difficult for you to hope again. I get it. I understand. But own it. Own up to it. Admit it. I know already. So don't try to hide it. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm going to do it. And they're going to change. God is going to change her laughter of bitterness to laughter of joy. And she's going to have a son. They're going to name him Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. And it's going to be laughter of joy. And we didn't read all of this in our lesson. But then something else amazing happens. This intimacy between the Lord and Abraham. The Lord says to Abraham, I guess I should tell you what I'm going to do. And Abraham goes, okay. So they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord says to Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Get that last bit. That last bit is amazing. And if it is, boy, I am going to get them. He didn't say that, does he? He says, if not, then I'll know, because maybe it isn't. Let's hope it isn't. Let's so hope that it's been exaggerated. Maybe it's not as bad as I've heard. Maybe I won't have to do a thing I don't want to have to do. This is the mercy of God, even as we move into this scary story. God's mercy is so great. And then the intimacy of Abraham with God. Abraham begins to do this audacious thing. You know the story if you've been in church in your life. He begins to negotiate with the Lord. And the Lord allows him to negotiate in a ridiculous way. Right? Abraham bows over every time. I'm so humble. How dare I? I can't believe it, but here I go. 
But what if there are 50 righteous? Right? Okay, fine. Abraham says, what if there are 50 righteous? But Abraham doesn't just say that. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. I mean, he's talking direct with the Lord, isn't he? And then he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Amazing. Amazing. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The Lord says, okay, if there's 50, if there's 50, I'll I'll wait. And then Abraham says, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Nice setup, right? Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? Now, it's a shame Abraham didn't live in the era of Twitter because he would have been a good Twitter arguer because this happens on Twitter all the time where people change the argument and move the goalposts. It wasn't about five. It's about 45. The Lord isn't saying if there are five, only five righteous, I'm going to do it. Abraham's saying, are you going to do this over five? Well, nice rhetoric, Abraham. Well done. The Lord's not a dummy. He knows what's going on. He says, if there's 45, okay, fine. So Abraham talks him down to 40, 30, 20, 10. There still aren't 10. So the Lord goes. Abraham returns to his place. And then we all know what happened, right? Or do we? Do we really know what happened? Three big things to say about what happens next as the angels enter into Sodom and Gomorrah and all that happens there. Three big things to say. The first is, this is not the place in the Bible to go to sort out questions of same-sex intimate relationships. There are places to go. There are places that are relevant. Even though it's an ancient book and we live in a modern world, there are places in the scriptures to go. But this isn't it. This is not the one. This is about some other stuff. Ezekiel tells us in chapter 16, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Typical American fashion. One camp says, this is God's answer to that stuff. The other camp says, no, no, it's all about hospitality. The answer is both of you have reduced it too much. Both of you have reduced this to your pet issues. And the answer is more full, complex, little and different from that. What is the answer then? The answer is the thing that is arguably the core thing of all the scriptures. The kingdom of God versus empire. The kingdom of God versus empire. Arguably the lens for the whole of scriptures. Certainly the kingdom of God is the lens of the scriptures. What does Jesus do? He goes around saying the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is, you know, the kingdom of heaven. It's Jesus' paradigm, so it's got to be ours. Amen? It is Jesus' paradigm. I remember moons ago, I had this dude sit down with me and go, you preach like a liberal. I'm like, okay. And I said, why? He said, you talk about the kingdom of God. I said, dude, (laughs) it's Jesus' core paradigm. So whatever it means, there it is. 
Call it, call me what you like. It's Jesus' core paradigm. So that's what this is about. It's about so many things that go on in Sodom and Gomorrah. So the the two dudes go in, and they're going to try to rescue Lot. Now we meet the second moment where we get hung up. It is a stretch to call Lot righteous. Amen? Just because something happens in the Old Testament doesn't mean God approved of it. So what happens? These two guys show up. They go to Lot's house. Lot brings them in. The men of the city come around, and they say, we want to humiliate, abuse, denigrate these men in the, the, you know, pretty much the, the worst way possible. We're going to rape them. And what does Lot say? Lot says a horrible thing. Lot says, I have two daughters. You can have them. Just because it's there doesn't mean God was okay with it. It blows my mind how often this gets missed as people on Twitter argue about the Bible. Lot is not presented ever in all these stories in choosing the good land shallowly in the first place. Never is Lot presented with the maturity or the faith of Abraham. He's always presented as the dude who can't rise above it. So yet again, Lot has gotten too enmeshed in the world around him. God's not delighted. Lot is not righteous. He's only righteous, if you will, by the the crying out of Abraham. God spares Lot, not because Lot truly deserves it, but because Abraham, the one who is righteous, the man of faith, cries out for Lot. A Lot, no pun, like who and what? Me and Jesus. I am not righteous, but Jesus is. You and Jesus. Abraham is forerunning Jesus in a mysterious little way here. And what Lot does is not seen. I mean, so what happens next? Lot goes to his promised son-in-laws of his daughters, and they don't believe him. They're like, yeah, we don't believe you. We don't think that's really going to happen. Because they aren't, you know, they aren't grown up. They aren't mature. They aren't believing that there is a greater world. They think it's all flattened out. They don't believe God's going to show up and do anything. So Lot says, we got to get out of here. The Lord's about to, to, to destroy the city. And they're like, yeah, well, come on. Nice one. They think he's just kidding. The angels go out of their way to make sure that Lot and his wife and their daughters get out. They care about the daughters. The mercy of God continues in the effort that the angels make to get them out. It takes quite a bit of effort, and God's mercy continues. And then we come to the next moment. Get out of here. Just don't look back because if you do, you'll get turned into a pillar of salt. This is how God's judgment works in the Bible. It does not work by God sitting up in heaven saying, I told you not to do that. Boom, zap, Zeus Zeus bolt. It works by God saying, I'm going to give you an instruction and the the attention that you give to that instruction will allow what is truly in your heart to be revealed. And you will then reap what it is you truly want. You'll get what you want. This is an earthquake. This area is known now that it had many earthquakes. Arguably, this was the last earthquake to shape this area. It's a a land that has fault lines, it has stone, it has gases underneath. 
that move and cause energy. It's bitumen like tar. It has salts and things like that. And so when, when this earthquake begins to happen, there's oftentimes lightning involved in these kind of things, all this stuff happening and all the rest. So there's natural gases rising up through the ground. There's lightning in the sky. The lightning comes down, hits the gas, things blow up. Lot's wife looks back and lingers. What they're saying to them is, it's going to be real. It's going to be bad. Believe us and don't linger because if you linger, that will be dangerous. We're trying to rescue you, so get on out. And she doesn't want to get on out. She can't bear. This is written just between the lines. She can't bear. She's demonstrating in her heart what it is she really wants. I liked that empire life. It was pretty good for me. So she doesn't get out. And some of those lightning bolts hitting the natural gas, they get her. They don't turn it into a statue. They just turn it into a blob. She gets fried. This is the way God's judgment works. It is actually mercy. There's mercy there. She gets the thing that she wants, but she chooses it, not God arbitrarily. It is still a miracle. It's an earthquake. It involves lightning from the sky. All of that is natural. It's still a miracle. If God's angels can show up and say, this is going to happen, and boom, then it happens, that's the way he chose to do his miracle thing. It's another example of what we call organic spiritual, right? God works hard to save them. He works hard to bring them out. So what does all this mean for us? Where do we go? How do we walk from, wow, that was a long time ago, and that is a crazy story all the way around. How do we walk from there to here? Well, first of all, this is really, in the end, this is kind of a story about two women. It's kind of a story about one woman who has spent so many years trying not to say to her husband, you know, you could have picked the good land. We could have had a house. We're still in the tent. It's pretty hot out here. Shade tree or no shade tree. And the other one, who isn't even named for us. Sarah is named. Sarah has intimacy with the Lord. She has conversation. He knows what she does. He doesn't judge her for it. There is intimacy with God that is real. Even when life is tough, it's real and personal. Second thing, God is a God of mercy. He is. He doesn't say to her, you're done now. Sorry, you're not worthy. God works hard to save Lot and his family. God doesn't want to do the thing he does in the first place. He'd rather find out it wasn't that bad. When he does move, when he does work, it's like that scene in the Lord of the Rings outside of the gates of Mordor. The earth opens up and swallows them because it just needs to be, it needs to be cleaned away, to be taken away. 
in order that there's more space for the kingdom of God, in order to get the cancer out, really. God is merciful. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament are the same God. And Jesus is an human, living human exhibition of God's mercy to us, an embodiment of God's mercy to us. The last thing about this one is, this is a tough one to preach, the bit about Sarah and Abraham and the, and the men and the promise. It's tough to preach because there are folks who are sitting in the room going, gosh, I'd love to have a baby. Gosh, I'd love to have a husband, wife. I'd love for that to be my life. And God shows up and works that out miraculously for Abraham. Are you saying that that's going to happen for me? And we all know that it doesn't work in that simple one-to-one. Sometimes God does miracles. Sometimes it does work that way. Boom, we get surprised. Sometimes it doesn't, and we're left saying, okay, God, what's up? These stories work on two levels. They work on the level of real people with real struggles, just like us, and God shows up in their lives in special ways, and miracle things happen. There's no reason why that can't happen again, but these stories also function at a level larger than themselves. They also function at a covenant promise level. Abraham is prefiguring Jesus. This is making the line for Jesus. Things happen that are special to working out the the high specifics of God's big plan and God's big story. So there's mystery involved. Now, I love the mystery of the incarnation. What a happy, beautiful, wonderful mystery. This mystery is pastorally a tougher mystery. But God is still in it, and he still has mercy, and he still shows up, and there is still hope. Now, that hope may be realized now, or it may be realized in Jesus, in the eschaton, in the day of the new heaven and the new earth, when we are told it will be realized and in abundance. So we hold hope, even when we bitter laugh. We say, Lord, please, just just know, just meet me, just know. Know my pain and meet me. go into prayer, just invite you to let's take them in reverse order, invite you to uh, share with the Lord the place where your laughter would, would be a kind of a bitter, just trying to deal with the energy that you feel just invite you to name that to him he knows, you did laugh he won't judge you Believe him that he is merciful.